You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are getting closer and closer to East Carolina's football season. We recently did our offensive preview. Today we are doing our defensive preview. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of Hoist the Colors, the publisher of hoistthecolors.net. Excited to be joined by a familiar guest. If you're familiar with the podcast, he is Brett Hickman, the coach formerly of West Brunswick High School, now off to New Ventures. Brad, I don't know what exactly you can divulge at this point, but uh, for people who, who do follow you, want to keep up with your, your work, uh, what what can you say at this point about your, your new position? Yeah, so uh, shortly after, I guess it was Memorial Day, I resigned from my position as the head football coach at uh, West Brunswick. Leaving home, I'm actually returning to college football um, to – Go help a longtime friend and a longtime mentor start up another program um, at the Division II level. Can't really get into specifics yet because my first date uh, will not start until the middle of September and be, um, I guess, official there. So, resigned from teaching and coaching at West in May. Um, my family and I will be moving shortly after Labor Day and going through the same thing you just went through, selling the house. And we close the Tuesday after. Labor Day, knock on wood, and then uh, we'll be moving back to an area that's familiar with me. I will say that, uh, not a university that, that I'm familiar with or that I've worked at in the past, but not far from uh, really where I started my full-time coaching career. Um, so, you know, it'll be a lot of fun get back into it. Uh, you know, and I think one thing, Stephen, is you know, I'm 36 years old. I've been hard at it really since I was 20 years old in coaching. So, having some time really to focus the next two years on, um, you know, recruiting, obviously trying to build a roster where we're going because we won't play games until 2024, um, you know, with two young kids. I have a seven, my wife and I have a seven-year-old little boy and a, and a three-year-old, one that's going to turn three on Sunday, actually, so a chance to kind of decompress and really enjoy watching other people work for the next two years, whether or not, you know, I think – my, my goal, in addition to spending some time with my kids, is to really relax, kind of get my life, uh, not get my life, continue, I guess, to kind of get my life centered on, on what really matters, which is your faith and your family, and, you know, have the opportunity to probably watch more football than 
than I've ever had in my life um you know on Saturdays and Sundays it's been a strange August to say the least I mean outside of the COVID year which everyone kind of went through um a couple of years ago this is the only training camp of my life where I haven't directly been involved with a team whether or not it was you know as a coach's son always being at practice following my dad's teams around or of course as a player and then as a coach so um you know, it's allowed me to really get into the, the the nuts and the bolts, watch a lot of film, stay up to date on the Pirates, you know, really probably more prepared for NFL season than I've ever been. So, uh, you know, it's right around the corner and, and really looking forward to um, really studying and, and getting into, you know, trying to improve myself professionally, but also, you know, the things I like to do being a fan of both the East Carolina football team and, and, and of course, my uh, – Washington, whatever we are now, commanders. Well, we always appreciate your work on Hoist the Colors. I know a lot of fans do. Uh, and so, you know, we'll see as you get more into your role uh, with, with your new program, you know, how much that, that changes your time constraints with us. But we're going to take advantage of, uh, of some free time right now with you and, and dive into this East Carolina defense, Brett. And I know that you're familiar, obviously, with a lot of, of the coaches on this defensive staff, it's kind of hard to believe that this is already the third year of Blake Carroll's defense. Of course, he came in during the COVID year in 2020, and how kind of quickly that this defense has really found its rhythm and really found kind of an identity since then, I think, speaks volumes to Coach Harrell. But when you kind of look at this thing overall defensively, Heading into year three, just your take on on just how far this defense has come in that time. Well, it's almost like year one and two ran together, like you mentioned it. Not having the, um, not having the, the the full gamut the first year, whether or not it was losing spring football and and then coming out and whatever that was, the hodgepodge of just kind of okay, we're going to practice for three weeks and then we're going to go out right and play a, a good UCF offense and all of that. In 2020, uh, you saw them start taking some leaps that year, at least in terms of being a little bit more multiple in scheme. And, you know, in my opinion, you, you saw Coach Houston's kind of culture start to take root a little bit more during the COVID year. And then, you know, what was a pretty big jump last year as guys got into their 14th, 15th, 16th month into the same schemes and the same situations. But I do think um, – you know, there's some holes to fill. You know, when you when you look at the stats from last year, the the two most obviously Jaquan McMillan, which we'll get into here in a minute, and then you know Bruce Bivens had a good year at least statistically. Um, you know, how do you how do you replace that? But but then there then you go down the the stat sheet, and there's a lot of familiar names of guys that have uh, produced and they've produced at East Carolina. So. Um, you know, you should feel really good from a from a player continuity standpoint. You know, particularly at, at on the defensive front, where there's a lot of guys who have played a lot. Um, you know, I do think there's some questions at some other spots, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, uh, you know, with, at safety with a lot of guys who've kind of been depth pieces, but they haven't really been the guy, if you will. Uh, certainly at corner. And then, uh, but there is, you know, you've got a lot of guys who've at least played a little bit, and then you've got, you know, you've had staff continuity, whether or not it's with, with Roy and uh, up front now coaching the D-line for, 
I guess this is his third year and then, you know, Tripp and, and Steve Ellis being together back on the back end and then uh, Tim Douse being back for another year. I thought his group took a leap last year uh, rushing the passer. And then, um, you know, certainly Blake is the coordinator and coaching the inside linebackers. So there's there's a lot to be excited about. And, um, yeah, I think it's got a chance to be – I think it's got a chance to not only go from like, – our standards have not been very high the last, you know, seven or eight years. It is what it is, and we've talked about that. And when you look at statistically, they, we, we still haven't been great the last two years. It's just from where we were uh, when Coach Harrell took over to where the expectations are now, I think you're starting you, – you, there's enough pieces in place to be a top 25 defense, um, you know, and, and get up there with the other people that have been competing in our league – uh, for the championship, whether or not that's been Cincinnati or Houston or, or whatever, and play the level of defense those guys have played uh, the last couple of years. So those are the expectations, and that's kind of it from a thousand foot view, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting when you you bring up the stats. Like you look at the stats on paper, the points given up and the total yards, and it doesn't blow you away. I think it may even be in the bottom half of the country, but it just feels like last year they were much better. Maybe it was the start of the year and, you know, the Charleston Southern game, they gave up a lot of yards and a decent amount of points and App State hit them pretty good with the stretch. I mean, they gashed them and I feel like the second half of last year was really kind of like peak ECU defense, at least under this regime and and I think that's what people are, are somewhat expecting. Uh I tell you what, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball, Brett. And you mentioned Jaquan McMillan, who, honestly, as I've covered the team this preseason, like I've I've tried to like stay away from the how is ECU going to replace Jaquan McMillan talk. But, you know, as you mentioned it, you remember just how good he was and how consistent he was. So let's, let's start at corner, you know, rather than maybe starting up front on the defensive line and just talk about, like, the unknown there, maybe we do know Malik Fleming's back. He's quietly been a really good player. You know, there are other guys at corner, which we'll get into, but not having maybe that that lockdown corner that you knew you you, you had last year when you were drawing up things. How does that change things for for Blake Carroll and Steve Ellis? Well, let's look at McMillan's stats. Number one, thirty-eight unassisted tackles, first on the team in that. Okay, as a corner. Now, it's not unusual for a corner to have largely unassisted tackles by nature of the position. It's out in space, right? But 38 unassisted tackles led the team. 18 assisted tackles, so 56 total tackles. Only one behind Bruce Bibbins for the team lead. Three and a half TFLs as a corner. You know, a, a terrific player in corner force coverages, whether or not that's cover two or trap cover two or, or whatever the case was. Five interceptions and 16 pass breakups. Two and a half fumble or two fumble recoveries as well, and a forced fumble. All right, that's not a good year. That's not a great year. That's a historic year from the East Carolina cornerback perspective. I'm thinking off the top of my mind. This is a program I followed pretty much my whole life. All right, and I'm a stat guy. Uh, I know you've been into it deeper. I, I can't think of one corner off the top of my mind that did all of that in one year. All right, so. I posted a couple of weeks ago, you know, what are what are some of my questions going into the year? The strength, when you look at the defense as a whole, to me, is the strength and the depth, the amount of guys who have produced over the years. But, like, the only guy, the only dude who played at a all-AAC level, and I realize he was second team because of 
what Cincinnati was playing with, whether or not it was Sauce Gardner, who was probably the best corner in the country, and then um, Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, the guy had a first team all all year, and in a lot of years, that's not only a first team all AAC. That's a guy who probably competes for Conference Player of the Year defensively. So that's how good he was. All right. The questions, Malik Fleming, productive player, been a good player. Can he take the next step? All right, Jawan Powell, been a safety most of his career. Um, you know, he gives you some ability to maybe go back and forth. You know, I think he's a guy who's going to be really comfortable in sub packages because he's going to be comfortable playing some safety, playing some nickel, playing some corner, versatile kid. Uh, probably a little bit better suited to play to the field side. Uh, if if he's the second best guy, do you move Malik to the boundary corner, which is where Jaquan played last year, uh, which is typically in Blake's system where you've played your best corner, you know, going back to his time at the Citadel in Kennesaw State. Uh, but then are you robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, a guy who's proven at the field, do you move him? You know you're not probably not going to be as good as Jaquan to the boundary, even with Malik, who's a proven player, and now you're worse at field corner because you've taken a guy who started there for two years or at least played a lot for two years. You know, the question, I, I, I feel fine about Malik Fleming. I think we all feel like he's going to be one of the two, all right, as the starter, as the case may be with the starters, and I think he's going to have a good year. Um, you know, the, the leap has to come from Jawan Powell. It's got to come from Demel Hickman and – you know, the two transfers, whether or not, you know, I think I read the report or, you know, the, the transfer from Lewisburg right now, uh, Revel, I guess is how you say his name, is going to be out a while. So, you know, that hurts, hurts early in the year. And then you do have the kid from Buffalo, and make sure I say his name right, a pre-Washington. Um, he does have tape. I think this is the one thing that um, – you know, I've got to get used to going back into college football. I'm sure you've had to get used to over the course of the last couple of years covering it is usually you, you you had no way of kind of quick fixing or supplementing your roster except through the dra- the, the grad transfer standpoint. All right, now, instead of worrying about whether or not this kid who redshirted last year can come play, now you can actually go get somewhat of a proven commodity. Now, I realize the AAC is a step up from – the Mac, but this is a guy who's played good football. He's played FBS football, and he's been a good player. So, I mean, I'd probably give him the leg up right now in being the guy opposite of of Malik Fleming. But, again, there's names there. There's two kind of proven commodities. But, you know, I've never gone into a season where I, I haven't wanted four. And uh, I think that's the sign of a good defense is not your top 11, but your top 22. So can Jawan Powell be a productive corner? Can DeMille Hickman? Uh, what do they get from the kid from Lewisburg? But I, I think it's going to start with the Buffalo transfer, transfer Washington and Malik Fleming. Yeah, I think that that's a good synopsis. And, you know, the, the, the tough thing about Jawan Powell is, you know, he was originally recruited as a corner, then moved to safety. He yep. just has not been able to practice consistently dating back to the spring. So it's almost like even though he's moved to corner, he's not gotten really the reps he needs. So I'm hopeful he can get back on the field. He's probably missed most of camp at this point. Um, a pre-Washington, he's been out there. Jamel Hickman's been the guy that has just quietly been running with the ones all preseason. And, you know, I, I think he's going to get a shot. I think he's going to go into the opener. 
whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench, I think he's going to play. And it's just going to be about how he responds to that. Maybe if he struggles, they put in a pre. Uh, maybe they put in uh, Isaiah Brown Murray's actually a true freshman who, who's impressed uh, early in camp as well, and he was in for spring ball. So I just think it's going to be a situation where you have to go to game day to really kind of find out what you have there. Uh, but I do think Demel, Apri, and, and obviously Jawan Powell, if he can get healthy, are going to be the three guys that really kind of push for that spot opposite Malik Fleming. Um, let's talk safeties, Brett, unless you got something to add on the corners. The last thing I'll say on those guys is, and this is in no way casting aspersions on the other coaches on the staff, but since he's been here, Steve Ellis has found a way to put a productive unit on the field. They've been consistent. And, you know, I know Malik had a rough night against App last year and, you know, whatever couple plays that the kid from Cincinnati made on Jaquan there in the in the, in the the finale last year. But that's been a good – he has proven that he can get kids ready to play and play at a high level. And, um, you know, out of those five names, I think we're going to find three or four that can help us. Yeah, I think I agree with you. You know, that is a an area where I, I trust Steve Ellis um, – and I'm looking forward to talking to him Saturday at Media Day just to kind of gauge. He's talked about Jamel Hickman for like two years now. We just haven't seen him play because of McMillan, Fleming, Nolan Johnson previously. But I think this is going to be his shot. All right, let's talk safeties, Brett. And this is another position where we kind of touched on earlier. You've got guys who have played a decent amount, and now they're kind of stepping into that full-time role. Uh, and you also got guys who have played a lot that are being moved around a little bit. Sean Dorsow actually played the third most snaps of any defensive player in 2020, and now he's almost kind of like a backup insurance guy at safety, so you feel pretty good about that. Jaira Wilson's moving around from Sam to safety, but then you got Tegan Wilk and Julius Wood, and I'll tell you what, Brett, Julius Wood, if I got to practice and I'm just looking for a guy who looks like an NFL DB, Julius Wood is that guy. I'm just – you know, how is it all going to look on game day? That's my question. Yeah, I think, you know, like, and I realized Temple was god-awful offensively, but Wood got probably – yeah, he played his most productive game against him. He made, he made two fits. He's playing quarters coverage. He's playing about nine yards, flat foot read, and he's keying that tight end. And when that tight end blocks out, that dude come, came down two or three different times and just stopped the back right at the line of scrimmage. You know, and I was thinking to myself, like, when is the last time we've had a dude that looks like that that would come down and do that? And I realized there wasn't much of a threat for play action pass and all that. But, like, that guy showed me in those five or six clips in that game what his ceiling could be. Now, there's a reason he's not playing. I'm not at practice or he hadn't been playing, whether or not it's, you know, failure to really learn the whole defense or just being behind, you know, guys who play a lot of football. You mentioned Dorso. Uh, it's been Warren Saba. It was DJ Ford a little bit last year, as the case was. So, you know, that dude looks good. He's got great length. Um, you know, can he become his ceiling, if that makes sense? So, uh, you know, you feel pretty good about Wood. I feel good about Dorso, you know, as a backup or if he's got to come in and play a little bit. I think he'll be okay. You know, Tegan Wilk and Jaira Wilson, those are two guys that have played primarily – I shouldn't say primarily, but they've played a lot of Sam Nickel, you know, is what they've played in the past. And they must feel really good about uh, Demetrius Mooney as a guy who can get in the rotation there. And, and certainly, you know, Stringer going to be the guy, and in my opinion, will be the guy at the Sam. So they must feel really good about Wilk 
and Wilson to be able to not rep them as much up there and kind of be the guy that strong safety boundary safety kind of the the eighth man in the eight man front fitter which is the scheme you know that's that's a guy who's got to be able to fit the run on the weak side and be able to cover a number two receiver so Wilk's been a guy who's had a great knack of finding the football you know whether or not it's forcing fumbles or um, I think was it Marshall last year? He made a play, you know, to, to get the ball out, and um, you know he he's a guy who's been productive whenever he's had a chance to play. So you know, does he go from being a guy who's been good those fifteen or twenty snaps he gets to being a guy who can give you fifty snaps a game and play at a high level? You know, I, I feel really good about that position. If Tegan Wilk and Jair Wilson are, are splitting snaps, that's a good spot. Um, you know, Wood Woods the that's the caveat. If he plays at a high level, that's a really good group. Um, if not, do you, do you have to lean on Sean Dorso a little bit more like you have in the past? So, um, you know, again, names, not really proven commodities, but proven to not be bad either. So um, can can they all take a next step? I think that that's what you want. You know, these guys that have proven they can play a little bit as freshmen and sophomores now as redshirt sophomores and, and juniors, can they be dudes? Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. And, you know, I asked Coach Houston earlier in camp, what, what's the biggest difference for a guy like Tegan Wilk or Julius Wood who maybe last year or in past years they were put in specific situations to maybe best fit their yep. talent. And now as a full-time guy, you I don't want to say you get exposed to more, but you, you do have to cover more responsibilities. You, you know, NC State, there's always going to be a threat – to run and pass every down. So I'm looking forward to seeing how those guys respond to that type of role versus, hey, you're playing Temple, you can cheat the run, you know, you're not too worried about Dewan Mathis or whoever beating you with the pass. So that's going to be a, a test right out of the gate. Uh, we, we kind of briefly touched on Sam, so we'll, we'll touch on that here. Uh, I'm with you in that. It, it feels like Demetrius Mooney has made a leap this offseason. Coach Harrell's talked about it, where maybe in the past – they knew he could run and hit. They knew he could help on special teams. It feels like this year he can help defensively. And him and Gerard Stringer, I think, gives you a nice one-two punch there and the luxury to move uh, Gyra around. But uh, I do feel like uh, they, they trust Mooney now, now that he's gotten comfortable on defense. It's the second year there. And then also uh, Gerard Stringer played at a high level last year, and, and I think he looks even better this offseason. Yeah, I mean, the, the question, with that position in, in Blake's system is can that guy be a three down guy, you know, or or on third down, do you have to get him off the field to either get a nickel corner or move a safety down? You know, certainly Gyro would be the, the first guy in certain passing situations that you would send down to cover down if you're going to play zone or um, whatever, or, you know, what sub packaging. So can that guy be up? Or, you know, it's a case like Mooney. Uh, that guy can really run, you know what I'm saying? So is do you do it in a situation where Stringer is really the, the first and second down guy and you bring the other guy in on third down? But um, there's a luxury there of having other guys within the two deep that have played there as well. Look, I've coached that position for a long time. Depending on the system, the nickel Sam is a place where you can move a guy there on a Tuesday and you can get him in a position to be ready to play on Saturday. Uh, it's just by nature not a it, – it's not playing free safety. There's not a 1,000 checks. You know, you're you're either going to play the flat force 
you know, or you're going to be playing an apex and you're going to carry a vertical. I mean, it is what it is. And then occasionally Blake will blitz you. So, you know, I, I think those guys can handle it, you know, by, but you need your best play. You need one of your best players there because of the nature of what everybody's doing. You know, the RPO game, the, the, the swing screens, the bubbles, all that kind of stuff. Can a guy get out there and dominate, physically dominate a, a number two or number three receiver in the, in the horizontal screen game or whatever. So, you know, that position is what it is. They must feel really good about Demetrius Mooney, like I said, to, to be getting Tegan and, and Jaira most of the reps there at the boundary safety. We continue to work our way from back to front. Let's now talk about the inside linebackers. And you've got uh, two traditional inside linebackers in Blake Harrell's scheme, the, the Mike and the Will. You know, Xavier Smith has played Will in the past, but they transitioned him to Mike more midway through last year, and now he's, it sounds like he's going to start there this year. Uh, Miles Berry going to play the Will. You've also got Chance Bates coming over from Kennesaw State. Mike Houston said the other day, Brett, that he really sees it as he's got three starting linebackers in those three guys. You know, you have a couple other guys, Taylor Jackson, Jacoby Simpson, that have been in the program. They added Michael Edwards, a transfer from Georgia Southern, who played like 500 snaps last year with the Eagles. So, I mean, this position, you know, I said it the other day, I feel like I feel almost better about this position than last year, even though you lose Bruce Bivens and Aaron Ramsour. Uh, your thoughts on the linebackers? Yeah, I mean, X has got to feel like a fish back in – you know, he was a saltwater fish trying to swim in fresh water last year on the edge. I mean, it just wasn't him. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if that was a, a nature of not being able to handle it mentally, or you know, maybe his heart not being all in. I, I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I think just the guy who's probably more natural as an inside backer. Uh, you know, apparently Miles Berry's had a great off season. And, you know, we know what kind of kid he is, just a, a first-class young man by, by all accounts of anyone who's been involved in the program in any capacity. So, you feel I feel, I feel good about those guys. You know, I think the transition from Will to Mike uh, for X is, is a little bit different in a sense because of the Mike, you know, you know, while the free safety is kind of the catalyst for the back five or the back six or whatever the case is, the Mike's the guy who's a lot of times got to make the checks on you know they give us this formation we've got to get in this front they give us this formation we've got to get in that front or this stunt's got to be called off if they give us unbalanced or whatever so there is more uh mentally on the mike linebacker in in most schemes so you know but that's a guy who's played a lot of football i mean he's played a lot of football inside linebacker as well so um the the Bates kid from Kennesaw, again, you know, it's not – you're not counting on a high school kid or a red shirt who hasn't played college football. Now, I realize he's played at the FCS level, but Kennesaw has been a really good defense at the FCS level. And, you know, he's got the luxury really of being in his fourth or fifth year in the system because that system was kept in place by Brian. Brian Newberry started it at Kennesaw. Then he went to Navy. Then Blake came in um, for – Blake came in for – you know, one year, and then I think they've ran the same stuff since Blake's been at East Carolina. So that's a guy who's been in the system longer than any East Carolina player. And, um, you know, so you feel pretty good about that spot. I, I don't know if that spot has been as 
good as maybe people on the surface have thought it has been, you know, whether or not that was with Bivens' numbers or even Aaron Ramsour, you know, I realize and that's the that's always everybody's favorite topic to talk about on the on the message boards is is, you know, why that guy didn't play more and I have no idea. But uh it is what it is that that group can I that's not a hole. I mean, I think they've got four or five guys who can go in there and they're playing behind a good defensive line. Uh, I don't think they're going to get swallowed. You know, they'll, they'll have a chance to be productive and make a lot of plays in the system. We will talk about the defensive line on the other side. We are going to take a quick break. We'll talk D-line, and then we will talk about maybe some of the, the key players we'll be looking for on September 3rd against NC State as well. Uh, you're listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. Brett Hickman is alongside. We're talking East Carolina's defense. A lot to look forward to this season, Brett. And I think I'm most excited about the defensive line. I mean, I, this group, there's still not many upperclassmen, at least in terms of eligibility, but in terms of experience, you've got guys who have been in the program now for, for multiple years. Uh, you've got strength in numbers. Pretty much three deep at every spot. I guess we can break it up and kind of talk interior defensive line and, and the edges, which is kind of like the new fancy way of saying defensive ends, outside linebackers. Um, we'll start on the edge where maybe they're not quite as deep as, as true defensive line, but you bring back Jeremy Lewis on at, at the rush position. They brought in Jack Powers, the Nevada transfer who looks like he will back him up. You got a couple guys, Eric Doctor, who have been in the program behind them at defensive end. You got some experience with Emmanuel Hickman, Chad Stevens, and a guy that has had a really solid camp, Josiah Robinson, transfer from Michigan State. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's quite as deep as D-tackle. I, I do think they need some more pass rush consistently off the edge, Brett. But, uh, you know, considering Jeremy has only played one year of defense previously – you know, this will be his second year. I think last year was a step up, and I'm expecting another increase this year. What, what about you? 
Yeah, I mean, really pleased with, with the year that guy had. I mean, four sacks, six TFLs. And that, that's good production in 12 games. You know, I, you'd, like you said, playing a, you know, coming over from offense and, uh, you know, moving around a little bit. Got to be pleased with the work Tim Dowse did with him, kind of kind of molding him. And, you know, he's, you're really a piece of clay, you know, in a situation like that. So hopefully he can continue to take the leap. Um, you know, going going back to what I guess they call the rush, whether or not it's it's Lewis or you know bringing Jack Powers in from uh, I think Nevada. Um, you know, maybe maybe he can come in here and give you a depth piece as as that was a big um, you know to going back to recruiting. I do remember that being a big um, point of trying a room trying to improve depth wise. Um, so you know, hopefully you get what you want to out of that. Um, out of that move, you know, Manny Hickman's another guy, four sacks, seven and a half uh, TFLs, you know, decent, pro- decent production. And, um, you know, I, th- I think he's probably set up to be the guy there, but it, you know, like, like you're reading your reports, is it going to be Chad Stevens or, or Josiah Robertson, uh, Robinson um, coming at the other defensive end position? I do think kind of the key uh, Blake has had to manufacture a pass rush through, creating pressures by, by nature, you know, when I send five or I send six, I don't have, I've got one or two guys less in coverage, which makes it harder to hold up. Um, you know, Georgia, which is obviously was the gold standard for defenses in college football last year, they went from a three, four, having to, you know, bring in some four and five or five man pressures or four man sims or whatever the case was to just, we're just going to send our best four guys and, um, you know, we're not going to try and hold up in, in coverage that long. Uh, you know, so the, long, the more that you can get just true winning one-on-one with the DN in the rush position, you know, the better off the whole defense is going to be collectively. And, um, you know, you'd like for those two guys that uh, Hickman and Lewis right now penciled in really is the – I guess penciled in is the right word, not, not written in as the starters, they're going to be – uh, you know, maybe you can get seven or eight sacks out of each of them. And, um, you know, our sack numbers have just not been off the roof. You know, 26 is an okay number. It's not, you know, anything to write home about. Um, you know, maybe if that number as a team collectively gets up to about 34, 35, you know, when those two guys really take off, you know, it's just going to make the defense um, better as a whole. Yeah, and talking to Jeremy something this preseason, he, he said basically last year he, he spent so much time just trying to figure out defense, whereas this year yeah. he knows what he's doing. Now he spent a lot of his time working on specific pass rushing moves, and, yeah. and I am curious to see how much that helps him. You know, I really think Hickman is a, is a good player. He's solid against the run. I think Chad Stevens and Josiah Robinson may give you more from a pass rushing perspective, so I feel – I'm curious to see maybe how much they utilize those guys in, in certain packages. You know, Josiah Robinson last year, the first game, I want to say, he was used in a third down package, and then he got hurt, never really played the rest of the year. So maybe he's a guy you try and get some more pass rush with, same with Stevens. So uh, they do need to create more pressure off that edge, and, and maybe that's a way they do that. Let's shift now to inside, uh, Brett, where, I mean – you got enough guys inside, you could play maybe some of these guys at defensive end as well. We saw it last year with Rick DeBrew. 
Uh, Elijah Morris has been repping some at at end this year. You know, Deontay Johnson's been a guy that's really had a phenomenal offseason at defensive tackle. J.D. Lampley for a freshman. Looks like he'll play. He's just been really good. He's going to be tough to keep off the field. Chandra Mims uh, comes in from Charleston Southern. Xavier McIver, Sarad Ware. Like, I mean, you're almost seven, eight deep at defensive tackle. So how do you how do you begin to kind of diagnose this group? Well, I think the one thing is, is like the strength of this group is clearly in the numbers and in the depth. I mean, you just you don't have a you don't have a spot where the guy's going to have to play more than 30 snaps a game. And a guy who's, you know, if I've only got to play 22 snaps, why can't I just play as hard as I possibly can for two or three reps at a time, which I think is the goal of what – uh, any D-line coach, any defensive coordinator wants. He wants a constant rotation uh, of guys in and out uh, through, throughout the football game and then being able to get creative against, you know, we want these guys to play against 12 personnel because they might be a little bit more zone stretch. Uh, so, you know, that's where you want Rick DeBrew in there and use it, utilize his quickness. Um, but, you know, if they're going to be more gap-oriented in this particular formation, okay, now I'm going to throw in Surad Ware and Elijah Morris in there so that I can get, just get more beef uh, in there. But there's a ta- that's a talented group, man. I mean, Elijah Morris, is, he's been a, a stalwart, I guess, since – I mean, since he showed up on campus as a walk-on. as a guy who gets in there, he eats up double teams. He's not going to put up great numbers, but that's the – he doesn't have to. You know, that's – not what he asked to do, you know, from a talent standpoint. Rick DeBrew had a better year in 2020 than he had last year. Didn't have a great year. Uh, and I think it, it was a little bit of the, the X Smith symptom is a lot of the year he was playing DN instead of D-tackle, which is where, uh, not to get too technical, he's better playing the B-gaps. He's better starting on top of a tackle and slanting inside than starting on top of the tackle and slanting outside. He's just more – he can utilize his quickness um, – going inside and being able to isolate on tackles and guards than he can just in be able truly being able to flip his hips and rush the C gap. So, uh, you know, he's back to more his natural spot. I've heard great things about JD Lampley. I mean, since he showed up, you know, nobody, and I'm not talking about just what they're telling you guys in the media. I'm talking about guys that I know on that staff. They said, this guy is going to be elite, you know, so that's a good thing. Know his high school coach really well speaks, wonders of his toughness. He's Surad Ware, man. That dude, he's got four or five. Similar to what Julius Wood popped off in the Temple game, Surad Ware made two plays in the Memphis game. Like, we had nobody that could make a play like that. Now, why has he not become what Elijah Morris has been? Or, um, you know, why has he not been as productive as some other guys? That dude's talented. Like, he's got some skill. Chandra Mims, I recruited him out of high school. You know, my last year at Gardner-Webb, uh, we recruited him a little a little bit, um, and then he ends up going to Charleston Southern and has a great career. And, uh, you know, he's flashed, and, and he's just going to add another depth piece to where they go. You know, I think the question is, is like, can MacGyver take a step as a, as a nose? You know, Johnson, he's another one. But the strength there, man, is the numbers and the fact that nobody is really going to have to play so much. So, you know, is there going to be an all-AAC defense, interior defensive lineman? No, because none of them are going to play enough um, to where, you know, you're just going to have – and the scheme, you know, by nature, that scheme is there for you guys to eat up blocks and let the linebackers and the outside guys run free. 
you know, that's just the deal. When a lot of times where these guys have gotten their sacks or they've gotten their hurry has been because we brought so much pressure that, you know, the tackle might leave the interior guy a little bit too quick and then it ends up freeing him up. Instead of getting a double team, he gets a, you know, a single team on a guard or whatever. So, um, you know, that's a group that we all should be excited about. And any football coach, and I'll leave it at this, you know, when you start in a, being a head coach, if you ask me what I want to build my roster with, first and foremost, it starts at the quarterback position, then it starts at the defensive line, then it starts at corner. And uh, so if you start with where where you think you can be really good or defensively, it starts, and I think it starts with, with – an elite pass rusher and then elite guys who can occupy the A and the B gaps. And certainly I think the pirates have got that. Well, Brad, we we've talked about this defense front to back and I think the clear consensus is depth is the strength of the unit. You know, I feel good about basically every second teamer at any position going in and, and basically they're not being a drop off. Is there a concern that, this defense doesn't have enough top-end talent, or maybe is is it going to be there? We just have to see it develop, or does it not matter? I know I'm kind of asking a lot in that question due to the scheme. You know, like does the scheme neglect or, or take away the the need for a top-end player, maybe at linebacker or at safety, or do we still need that guy to emerge to kind of reach that? I guess the the championship level defense ECU wants to have ultimately. I think the depth is good enough to beat six teams on the schedule right now, you know, but the, the question is if, if East Carolina wants to get where Mike Houston and our fan base wants to get, which is back toward, you know, winning a conference championship, uh, you've got to have a sauce gardener. And I'm not talking, I mean, that's obviously an extreme scenario of having the best corner in the country, but like you got to have a dude, you got to have a couple of dudes, you know, to, whether or not it's, in the, the Rams, I mean, the last play in the Super Bowl, uh, who makes the play to win the game? Aaron Donald, Georgia. Every time you look up, they had someone who was just an elite talent making a play. And I'm not – I mean, I'm certainly not saying we need to win the Super Bowl or win the national championship, but I'm saying to be the best people in your league, you've got to have dudes. you got to have great players who make great plays in big-time situations and that you've got to have a guy or two every now and then that you can count on. And we lost the one guy that we had that every time over the course of the last two years, it's seeming like we made a play to win a game. It was Jaquan McMillan. I mean, that's who it was. So, uh, But the positive thing is, is that you've got 17 or 18 guys who could emerge as being that guy. You know, you just don't know. And that's the beauty of this situation. But, you know, right now that unit's good enough to win seven or eight games. But you're still – I look at I look at the schedule from a holistic standpoint. Okay, the state game is what it is. You know, they've got to deal with all the expectations that um, UNC dealt with last year, right? Going into a hostile environment against a capable football team week one when everybody in the country thinks you're top 15. All right, but win or lose, that game's not going to make the deal. East Carolina's got a chance to roll off four or five in a row after that game with Campbell and Old Dominion and whatever, you know, South Florida, I think, is mixed in there. The Navy game's huge, in my opinion. But the, the games that you have to win to make this a memorable season are UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati, and I think that's three games in four weeks with BYU sandwiched in there somewhere. Okay, 
you're not winning two of those four or three of those four or four of those four without dudes emerging and playing at a all-conference level. Um, you know, so the, the floor, I think, is higher than it's been, you know, the entire Mike Houston era and maybe maybe defensively since the Skip Holtz era. I really believe that. I think this, this coaching staff's done a good job recruiting. I think they've done a good job supplementing some stuff in the portal. Uh, and I think they do a great job coaching. So the floor is high, but how high the ceiling is depends on how well these guys emerge from being you know, okay to above average college football players to this guy has a chance to play in the National Football League. All right, Brett, let's wrap it up with this. We are 16 days away from September 3rd as we record this on Thursday, August 18th. September 3rd, of course, East Carolina, NC State. As you said, I don't think it'll make or break ECU's season, but clearly if you find a way to win that game, it could set up to be an extremely, extremely special year and a special start to the season. As you look at this defense heading into that game, is there a player? Is there just a position group you're going to be watching extra closely as we uh, arrive towards that season opener? You know, I don't know a lot about State's team other than well, I, I do, but the strength of their team right now is their front seven on defense and their quarterback situation. So, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is I think you got to get Devin Leary off his spot. So immediately that becomes who we talked about. Can, can Manny Hickman or, uh, you know, from defensive end or one of those other defensive ends we talked about or, or you know, uh, Jeremy Lewis. Sorry, I called him Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Lewis. Uh, you know, can they get him off his spot? Can they win in the pass rush situation? But similar to the opener last year, you never could get the the offense in a predictable situation because you didn't stop the run first and foremost. So you got to be able to stop the run and get get stayed into some of those third and long so that you can affect Leary. If he's throwing all game and it's second and two, second and three, and he's got chances to push the ball down the field, Number one, you're stressing your corners, you're stressing your safeties, and you're stressing your coaches because you're not getting them in predictable second long, third and long situations. So, you know, to me, the biggest key in that game is going to be, you know, putting Devin Leary in uncomfortable situations. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, State's got a talented football team. They're going to be really good, uh, but it is a home opener. And, uh, you know, I think when you get a 12 o'clock noon kickoff, you know, having 20, 25 guys who can play, I think that's a good thing, you know, because cramps are going to be an issue and depth's going to be an issue. And, you know, the one place where the defense can have an advantage over an offense, I'm talking from a holistic standpoint uh, or in any game possible, is the fact that defensive coaches tend to play more guys than offensive coaches, particularly at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, maybe use the heat to your advantage and rotate in fresh bodies while State's trying to play five or six offensive linemen. Um, you know, that, that's got to be the deal. But you got to be able to hold up one-on-one on the edges, as is the case in, in football at all levels now. Uh, and because of the RPO game, and, and you got to be able to generate a pass rush whenever you're, um, you know, dealing with a guy that most people think is going to be a, a first or second day NFL draft pick right now at quarterback. Yeah, I think my eyes are immediately going to go to the secondary when they take the field for the first time, you know, for the reasons you mentioned. You know, NC State's got Thayer Thomas, Devin Carter coming back at receiver. You know, who's going to be across from Relic Fleming? Is it Hickman? Is it Washington? Is it Juwan Powell? Uh, what happens at safety? 
Uh, is, is it Julius Wood and Tegan Wilk like we kind of expect, or do they roll with Sean Dorso uh, or Jaira Wilson? So, uh, and, and to see how those guys respond to that situation, that environment, that'll really intrigue me on September 3rd. Well, Brett, we're almost there, man. I, I really appreciate the time and the insights. Uh, hopefully, we, we, we scratched your football itch uh, enough uh, to get you through uh, the month of August. I know you're ready for the, uh, the season kickoff. Yeah, it won't be long. We'll have some got preseason football right now, and then uh, I guess a few to whet the appetite on August the 27th. Um, like they're playing one game in Ireland, I thought I read today. But, um, you know, it'll be good on September 3rd. That Saturday is always kind of a national holiday for those of us that love football, Saturday of Labor Day. And, um, you know, got we don't have to wait long, 12 o'clock noon. So that's good. And then hopefully we're celebrating a pirate win and then you get to watch Oregon and Georgia and Ohio State Notre Dame and just uh so exciting it's an exciting time of year and um you know I can't wait to, to see what uh improvements that the the staff has made and the team has made as as we enter year four the Mike Houston era he is Brett Hickman I'm Stephen Igo that'll do it for our defensive preview for the upcoming season Maybe we'll talk special teams at a later date as well. We're also going to have a season predictions preview before the uh, game week actually arrives leading into the NC State opener. But you've been listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We will talk with you guys next time.